Brussels, and I am delighted to welcome uh, the Commissioner for Cohesion and Reform, Commissioner Ferreira. Welcome, Commissioner, to this uh, series. Thank you for accepting our invitation, and we are delighted to have you. Thank you very much for in inviting me. Absolutely. This is uh, important times, and you're dealing with a very, a very crucial portfolio uh, in in, um, in the attempts to answer the how we're going to deal with, uh, with the coronavirus, you deal with cohesion and reform. I actually had, uh, in preparation for this meeting, I went back and, and read the mission statement that you received from President von der Leyen, where she's, uh, she's asking you to, to help those hit by the twin shocks of the digital and the climate transition. This was, of course, in a different world when this, uh, when this letter was written. We're walking up to, uh, to a, a shock that is actually very comparable to, to the Great Depression shock, if not bigger. And all of this in the space of a few weeks, actually, a realization that we're here for to deal with an enormous shock. The shock of the coronavirus, how do we deal with the emergency pandemic to begin with, but also what types of, of tools and what types of policies do we put in place? to try and, 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 and you know, rescue whatever we can, but also recover uh, in six months from now, in 10 months from now, when the pandemic hopefully will have ceased. Your portfolio is a cohesion and reform. What are your initial thoughts on, on the role of cohesion to deal with the pandemic crisis? Well, in fact, uh, I'm very grateful uh, for this invitation because sometimes uh, citizens and even people that are uh, experts, they get a bit lost with everything that is happening. Um, in relation to this crisis, I would like just to start by saying that sometimes we forget that uh, uh, the health sector is a national sector. It's not in the hands of, uh, of the European, uh, of this European framework to address health, uh, health problems and, uh, and health pro policies. So initially, uh, what the Commission uh, did was actually to try to control the instinct by different member states to close themselves and to try to solve their problems by themselves. Closing borders, uh, preventing people from moving, preventing goods from moving, sometimes even food or medicine. So it was really a, an instinct, a natural instinct, but progressively uh, the work of the Commission has managed to harmonize uh, practices I mean, from, um, from not, not a, a legal uh, imposition, but by dialogue, by permanent uh, following up on what was happening. In fact, the borders started uh, functioning. Uh, the vital food goes through, medicines go through. Now we have uh, common procurement of, uh, of, of medical equipment. Uh, we have organized the transfers of uh, citizens uh, with common flights. Uh, and okay, so all these uh, immediate things were done, but one of the first uh, policies to react was in fact cohesion policy. Cohesion policy has shown is one of the most, of the oldest policies in Europe, as you know, uh, and uh, it has uh, still, and goes on having a very clear mandate, that is to combat the excessive asymmetries uh, in the growth and in sharing of the common uh, common welfare uh, that that uh, normally an internal market based on competition would uh, stimulate so the cohesion policy uh, is the other side of the process so that uh, by helping regions to be able to compete uh, then you share in a more fair way the gains of the internal market but also 
this cohesion has shown through time that it has a very, very strong capacity to adapt to new challenges and to the immediate uh, crisis. We did that in the past and we are doing it now. So uh, in the beginning, on the 13th of March, we had already the first initiative and by the end of March, we had the second initiative and by the end of it, in fact, we um, changed with a very, very important cooperation from the European Parliament and from the, the, the member states. Uh, we managed to say to the citizens the following, okay, we have money uh, that was destined and allocated uh, according to the usual rules to the different member states to promote this cohesion infrastructures, schools, uh, even hospitals, because also cohesion policy supports the infrastructures of, uh, of the health infrastructures, because they are very essential for, for the development of regions. But okay, this money, you, member states can reallocate it to tackle the critical emergency issues. And by now, uh, the margin of maneuver that member states have is enormous. So what they can do, they can redirect the funds uh, towards uh, basically uh, health expenditure, towards support of small and medium enterprises, and also the running costs of enterprises are being co-financed, uh, and jobs, uh, because uh, it's very important that uh, you don't create excessive unemployment because then you kill the, the dynamic of the market. And so uh, keeping jobs going uh, with these uh, part-time uh, or short-time uh, contracts that then were reinforced by SURE, there is this combination of funding that can help uh, people to not, not to, be, to be completely exhausted in terms of their financial capacity. And so uh, these were the emergency, uh, the emergency things that were that were decided. And uh, in the last phase, in second phase of this of this initiative, we also allowed for uh, the co-financing to reach 100% of the total cost. So this is a big relief for member states. It is the emergency situation. This comes together with a lot of other actions that were taken. Uh, at the European level. Some of them, a, a crucial one was the ECB uh, initiative for the seven, 750 billion of capacity to support sovereign debt. Uh, but also at the, at the European level, uh, there were um, some other initiatives, uh, namely an important one. And this important uh, initiative is that it, the usual state aid rules were, were waived uh, to a considerable extent. And so what does this mean? This means that uh, a member state can support its enterprises, its firms, its corporations uh, to a much bigger extent than before, uh, which triggers, of course, if the, if the European Union doesn't have the firepower to do it by, by itself, uh, it, it, it releases the member states, it, it, it allows the member states to use their own firepower. Of course, this has a secondary consequence, that is the internal market will be very imbalanced in the follow-up of this, because certain member states have deeper pockets than others, others almost don't have pockets at all. 
And this brings forward again the need that in the recovery process, cohesion and convergence is put at the core of our agenda. Not only uh, in terms of the, of the usual way uh, to, I mean, to, to do cohesion policy, I, I hope and, um, and I wish that Member States uh, and the Parliament agree on a very fast uh, finishing and the conclusion and adequate conclusion of the next uh, supporting period so that with this change, with this reallocation of funds from the usual cohesion policy into these emergencies that we don't stop the process of convergence. That's what the, the policy exists for. Uh, and so a continuity has got to be guaranteed in a swift manner so that, uh, uh, in fact, some projects that were phased up or interrupted or that they can really be relaunched uh, because this is part also of recovery. If you have a big project that you phased into three or two phases in order to be able to reallocate the money, then, uh, I mean, you stop the uh, also the business that is associated with those projects so that's not that's not convenient uh, and so uh, but but in a nutshell what we did was to come very quickly and to give immediate answers and i underline with a big of, uh, a big cooperation a fantastic cooperation from the european parliament and from the council but in fact uh, i mean the available money that uh, is being used uh, comes from here uh, and it will come from the other elements, but that is more debt-based. Uh, debt uh, I mean, now we have the other elements, the initiative from the SM, we have the initiative from, um, I mean, uh, but probably the EIP initiative and the, the cohesion funding initiative is what is answering immediately with grants and not necessarily increasing the loan the, the debt bill of member states, which is another problem, but we can address it, I'm sure, during the, the, the discussion. Indeed, thank you, Commissioner. You've touched on many issues, and uh, well, that's <laughs> that was very comprehensive. If you can probably maybe zoom on a few of these issues, because as you said, there's a lot that has been done. I think the, the, the one big question that we all have when it comes to cohesion is whether cohesion, um, as you say, it is, it is a, a tool that has got a very clear mandate and, and, and a very also long-term perspective. And therefore, the question that arises is whether cohesion is the best tool to really tackle the crisis. Certainly at the, at the short run, maybe in the long term there is a clearer space for it, but in the short term, uh, whether there is a, a role that can be leveraged and, and how can this uh, be implemented. It's interesting you talked about uh, the initial reactions, also humane reactions by Europe, which were probably introvert and then how the commission helped afterwards to try and bring everybody on the same level and, and you know, provide the solidarity that was needed in this respect by allowing exports, by make sure we coordinate the borders and, and all these issues. But the fact of the matter is that we are all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. Uh, and I think you said that as well, when you said that not, not everybody has the same size in pockets. And, and, and you know, that's why we're looking for more centralized solutions of which cohesion could be, could be, could be one of them. But I'd like to, and, and here I'd like to bring also Jim in, because we talked about this also yesterday. You know, how appropriate is, is uh, cohesion uh, as an immediate tool? You've mentioned the plethora of tools, both countries, but also other European institutions are doing, the ECB, the IB, the SM. All of them are of a debt nature. 
cohesion is not of a dead nature, it's much more of a transfer, um, and it has got a very specific purpose. How much can you mobilize this in the current context cohesion to help fence off some of the of the shocks of the impact of the shock that we see and immediately well in the in the present context uh what we are talking about is about uh, 54 billion more or less of funds that uh, were still because we are in the last phase last year as you know of the multi-annual framework so some uh, the execution of projects um is is as this trend to go uh, up in the last phases because in the beginning you are pre preparing the projects and then you start spending money later on but this does mean and the execution uh, the average execution rate uh, payments in fact were about uh, were less than half of the total amount uh, that was available but that doesn't mean that you can interrupt all the projects so this means that what could be reprogrammed is being reprogrammed uh, some uh, some uh, funds you can uh, exceptionally, you can move from, you will be able to move, our member states can move uh, the money that is allocated for the social fund or for the, the regional development fund or, or even for the cohesion fund can move and uh, move between the different uh, funding instruments according to their needs. Uh, and they can also disregard uh, in this emergency the uh, allocation that was uh, predefined in relation to the thematic subjects that could be covered. So there was a near marking um, that was going on uh, for uh, greening or for digital, and uh, we had to, uh, I mean, to remove uh, these constraints, allowing also for uh, adjustments between regions. So uh, I mean, this is really a very exceptional and very. And, and shows exactly the, the will to, to answer the emergency. Uh, but your question raised another issue. Your question, question, question raised the issue, is cohesion policy the adequate one, the adequate instrument? Cohesion policy has, in fact, the tools. And sometimes we look, uh, we tend to look, even people that are uh, informed and journalists, they look at the, at the cohesion policy as if it was a kind of old policy that does infrastructures and that, I mean, uh, cohesion policy adapted a lot throughout time. And now, uh, if you look at the overall amounts, about 60, 65% of the value of, of, of the amount managed through cohesion policy uh, is, uh, is directed to the greening of the economy. So doing projects that really contribute to our cli climate conformity. Uh, or digital, or it, it depends on the regions, but it, it, that, that's just an example. On the other hand, the, the kind of instruments that, uh, that were used by the cohesion policy was traditionally just uh, grants. Now it's a mixture. So you can have grants, you can have loans, you can, so also the instruments, uh, they are much more market-based uh, and according to the specificities of each line of projects, you can do uh, different combinations of projects. So yes, I think we have a toolbox. This is about one third of our little budget. And this is something else that I think we should underline because sometimes citizens expect 
that the European Union will react like a federal government. Um, the, the budget from, for, the, the, for the Commission to act is 1%, as you know, around 1%, so it's the usual discussion, 1% uh, of the total wealth. So it's really a, a, a minimum thing, but nevertheless, one third of this amount has managed to do a lot uh, in terms, and everybody in Europe knows the cohesion funds and, the, and has benefited from them. Uh, initially, in the earlier stages of development, you tend to concentrate on removing barriers to development, and these barriers can be a scarcity of proper water, it can be scarcity of, uh, of a highway or a road, uh, or, or the management of, um, of your waste, because you cannot live in a place that is completely uh, dirty and disorganized. But progressively, we went on and on and on. And we can really uh, have examples now of very sophisticated uh, projects, uh, programs uh, combined with uh, innovation, with uh, research. Uh, and this touches another element of what you mentioned is, uh, I mean, can cohesion do it by itself and alone? And I don't think so. I think cohesion has got to be there. Uh, goes on uh, adapting to the new circumstances. I find it uh, the, the most uh, robust policy uh, to make the internal market and uh, the common currency feasible, otherwise they won't be feasible. And sometimes we don't realize this. Uh, but, but I think that overall, if you look at the recovery plan of what we'll be doing next, uh, you will have uh, this massive, imbal massive imbalance between the conditions for competition of the different firms, the different corporations, uh, along, uh, according to the place where they are located and the importance uh, that the member states allocate to them. Uh, the announcement that was made by, by Germany or that was made by even by strong countries like Italy or by or by uh, Spain in relation to the capacity they had to foster a, a, a relaunch of the economy uh, is completely different. It's completely different. And so if we want to kind of uh, uh, stabilize the conditions for the internal market to function, we have got to have this kind of uh, recovery instrument that levels out, so to speak, this, uh, this recovery that given the circumstances is much based on, on, on the capacity that each member state has got uh, to foster its own development. And so I think we have got to be aware of this and to understand that, uh, uh, of course, uh, it would make sense that through legal constraints of uh, like compliance with stability and growth pact or the state aid rules that we would kill or diminish the capacity of people and of countries to survive this terrible crisis or to, to cover for specific expenditures. But uh, having said this, when we get out of it, uh, we have got to go back to a cohesion policy that does cohesion and to, and to an internal market that is actually an internal market. <laughs> Thanks very much, Commissioner. Thank you, thank you for speaking with us. Um, to today so uh, we've already covered a, a lot of a lot of areas i think both to do with the the present 
crisis and the immediate crisis response and, um, and the recovery and the role of cohesion there. There are a couple of things I wanted to pick up on. One of them is, uh, you mentioned this yourself, but the, the, a lot of restraints have been taken away in order to free up money, to free up this 54 billion. So transfers between funds, um, transfers, um, transferring money away for, to different regions um, and 100% co-financing. So what is your exit strategy? Um, I mean, you've said at some point we have to get back to normal cohesion policy. Well, what's your exit strategy from this to actually reintroduce the, the restraints? Because presumably those rules and those restrictions, they're there for a reason in normal times. Um, secondly, I, I wanted to pick up on a think tank report that came out a couple of days ago from the European Stability Initiative. I know you responded to this also on Twitter, but it's a, it's a report that points out that Hungary received more than Italy um, from, the, from the investment initiative, from the coronavirus response investment initiative, um, uh, both in real terms and as a share of GDP. Does that show some of the limits of, of cohesion policy as a crisis fighting tool? Well, thank you very much, Jim. It's a pleasure to, to speak with you and to speak with uh, with the, um, the media you represent, uh, as well as, uh, as I mentioned, also with, uh, with Bruegel, um, with important think tanks. Uh, on, uh, on, on cohesion, uh, yes, we have changed a lot of things. Of course, it is true that we are in the last phase of the multi-annual uh, multi period of, uh, of programming. Uh, so uh, the changes that we are making uh, at this uh, last in this last year, and also with the permission uh, that certain projects uh, between uh, June, I mean, uh, in a couple, in a one or two months, and uh, one year ahead, uh, they can be financed if member states so decide. 100% uh, by uh, funding from the European uh, Union uh, is really. Uh, the, a, an exceptional answer to an exceptional circumstance. Having said this, this is not done without a framework, so we are still operating within the legal framework that is given to us by the European uh, treaties and by the European specific legislation on this topic. And uh, we, have we have had to make the right amendments, uh, and this is the reason why I was thanking the European Parliament and the Council, because we had to make uh, adjustments, uh, very, very, very specific uh, adjustments in the, the present legislation in order to make it feasible. Um, but of course, it is true. Also, we are in contact with the European Court of Auditors, and um, and in, uh, in so that we really, uh, I mean, understand the consequences of what we are doing. But we thought that we could not do otherwise and go on insisting that you would, uh, I mean, be blind in relation or autist in relation to the terrible situation that member states were facing in this uh, in this specific uh, specific uh, emergency. Uh, and, but having said this, of course, the important thing is that we learn from here. We understand that probably in the next framework of aid that we were discussing, and discussing in a very, uh, I mean, uh, emo emotional way. Uh, but now I, I hope, I hope member states in particular will realize that in fact we need this policy because uh, we are all together and uh, probably we are not exactly in the same boat but we are so intertwined and uh, that that in fact we cannot 
uh, we cannot go one one by by its own its own way and and forget that we are in a common in common ground and and that we have a common market, uh, and that is absolutely essential. Uh, when when you you refer to the to the, um, the some uh, some news that that came on a specific country on uh, on Hungary, I mean in by doing what we we have been doing this uh, this. Uh, uh, I mean, this uh, adjustment, this possibility to move from f funds from uh, from usual uh, purposes to new ones. We are not uh, we are not creating new funds. We are not. Uh, we, it's not new money uh, because we can, we don't have it. Uh, it's the money that was already allocated to each member state. So each member state has, in the beginning of this uh, multi-annual period, uh, they have uh, uh, an allocation uh, that, is, uh, that is agreed between the Commission and the member state to execute a certain number of, of investments or uh, to implement a certain number of, of development, of regional development instruments. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the exact value that is available or that each member state wants wants to reprogram depends on within its own envelope. Depends on on what the options of member states. If a member state is rich enough not to to do uh, any use or or was fortunate en enough not to have any major crisis, probably it can go on doing business as usual. But if the country wants. Uh, and has the need to reprogram to address this uh, this excessive costs related to health or to bankruptcy of, of, of small and medium enterprises. Of course, can, can, the country can be authorized to do that. And we have also simplified a lot of procedures. And this is something we want to keep uh, to a certain extent to the future. Uh, we had already anticipated that we needed to simplify the procedures and red tape and bureaucracy. And we had already proposed it to the European Parliament and to the Council in, our, in the proposal for about 18. And, and, and I think this proves which ones of these simplifications can still go on and be kept. And this is a reflection we are having uh, and we are developing so that we also learn the lessons and improved uh, techniques of management that we can get from here. But in fact, uh, this, this was, I mean, something that doesn't make sense to say that uh, this, th there is more money for a country A or B. I mean, the money that is available is when that was there. And sometimes the countries that had not uh, had such a, a, a speedy way of spending their own money. They have now a bigger margin of maneuver than the others. But on saying this, I'm not referring to the specific case you are mentioning. It depends on the different member states. No, I understand what you're saying, that obviously these envelopes, these specific envelopes for specific member states were set several years ago. But are you concerned at all that in the specific context of the crisis, that the money is not going where it's most needed? I mean, obviously, if the aim is to redirect this money towards healthcare costs, there are some countries in Europe, Italy, Spain, probably first and foremost, which need the money more than some others would right now. I think the countries that you mentioned, they have a substantial margin of maneuver uh, in relation, if you refer exactly and only to the uh, health-related costs. On top of these, other instruments were created, as you know, from the ESM new uh, line of support, uh, exactly to support that kind of emergency. And uh, also, 
<coughs> excuse me, and also uh, there is, uh, the, we opened also uh, a new facility that uh, um, that sometimes is not that um, that uh, that well known, and this is the possibility to use uh, this uh, emergency fund, the solidarity fund that was used in um, in, in earthquakes, and on the eligibility had, was very much related with uh, natural disasters like uh, earthquakes and like um, floods, uh, and most member states unfortunately had already to to use them but particularly i mean also italy and um, spain and france and portugal they they used it uh, this was only available for this uh, this kind of usual natural disasters uh, it was created a line a special line was created uh, also in the already in the first package of cohesion policy so that also member states could be reimbursed uh, in relation to expenditures, excessive expenditures, uh, provided those expenditures reach the sh a certain thre threshold that can be either an absolute threshold or a certain percentage of their overall wealth in these emergency um, actions. And so for health-related uh, issues. So in a nutshell, I think uh, for the emergency, for the payment or repayment, of the of the costs associated with the health health problems, I think the available uh, amount of money, uh, I would I would anticipate that it is it is it is adequate. It is enough. Uh, another issue is uh, what will be the impact uh, on the economic on the economics uh, and and on the on the on the on the, the 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 enterprises the jobs that will that will come once the the dust or falls down and we see where we are and of course in that sense the imf uh figures are a bit worrying uh of course the commission is going to publish its own um its own estimates on the 7th of may uh, but nevertheless, the information, statistical information, is not available yet. So uh, we are really, and uh, probably you, you, I mean, you heard uh, what was yesterday discussed, discussed with the European Parliament, uh, the Regio Committee, uh, that in fact uh, we, I, one possibility would be to have a kind of um, an extra. Uh, uh, amount of, of, of available money that would be re reallocated and redistributed once we know uh, who suffered the most uh, from an economic perspective in, I mean, in, in the aftermath of the crisis. This could be done as soon as we have sound statistics, maybe within one, two years, we could really reallocate and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and help uh, more those that uh, suffer the most, which is different uh, from those that suffer the most in human terms and in human losses, because human losses uh, were, were absolutely devastating. But uh, there is not a perfect correlation between the economic impact and the health impact. Uh, you may have uh, certain regions that may eventually not have uh, I mean, in theory, not even a single human loss, mm -hmm. and nevertheless, they lose completely their business. 
and I'm thinking, for instance, of the outermost regions uh, or peripheral regions or regions that depend a lot on the physical contact. Uh, exporting regions, touristic regions, uh, you may have um, regions that export raw materials or that if, the, if, you, if your business model as a country depends a lot on transports, international transports, or if it depends on the movement of people or the movement of goods, you are bound to have a massive crisis uh, and the, the more you suffer more, the more this is uh, sometimes the only activity that you have in your economy or if you depend a lot on that. Whereas if you have a, a business model or a country business model that is based on, uh, on a digital contacts uh, and not and uh, non-material uh, contacts, uh, then, then you can really go through it. Uh, you can eventually have a lot of uh, human losses, which is the, the, the most terrible thing of this process, but you may still have your, econo your, your economy, economy floating and functioning. Uh, so uh, I think we need really to look very carefully at what is the post-coronavirus uh, crisis in economic terms and be able to create some flexibility within the cohesion policy for that. Actually, if I may, we'll be very keen to move also to what we can do in the future. But I would also like to take a question that came in from uh, from one of our uh, participants uh, about what we can do today. Because, I mean, the next thing we should talk about is what we should do tomorrow. But what he's asking, uh, named Anonymous, is the Commission willing to prolong the current funding project period to provide flexibility also to member states with limited potential to reallocate funds? Is this something that we can do now before we move on to what we can do in the future? Well, if I, if I correctly understand the, the question, uh, I think what we have now is answers uh, with the available means um, in all possible ways. Uh, there is no member state that doesn't have any margin of maneuver. All member states have a certain margin of maneuver within cohesion funds. We don't have countries that cannot do anything. Also because member states received the, I mean, the, this is, I didn't want to go into a lot of technicalities, but anyway, uh, in the management, uh, in the routine management of funds, uh, there is this need each year to reimburse the commission of the so-called unspent, unspent uh, balances that you have. Uh, this unspent money usually would have to be, to have been uh, um, given back to the commission, um, I mean now, uh, and uh, it, there, that was another decision. Uh, member states can keep it uh, till the end of the execution period. So this represented 8 billion of, uh, of liquidity. That is, uh, it's like a free interest loan that is in the hands of member states until the end of this, of this, uh, of, the, of the programming period. So eventually until 2023. Um, there is a, a very interesting, and I find it very, also symbolically very, very important uh, instrument that is this uh, sure, this uh, this new project uh, to support uh, uh, member states to help member states to stand to support uh, the part-time uh, job that can be used instead of unemployment uh, of, of people being sacked from, from their jobs. So uh, the firms can, can reduce the amount of work, the amount of payment, 
and the member states can give some complementary support to these workers and uh, there is uh, this uh, i mean this mechanism uh, sure i hope uh, in the this week it is finally confirmed uh, but in fact it's really very important to have this element that is based on the European budget, but with, with guarantees from the different member states in order to create uh, a, a, a 100, um, 100 billion uh, amount that can be used to support uh, these uh, this jobs. Uh, then I already mentioned the, um, the Solidarity Fund. Uh, that can really reimburse member states from the past. Uh, I also mentioned that these adjustments in the cohesion funds, in old cohesion funds, this payment of the 100% if the member states so wish, uh, will stay for the last phase. This is last year. So the question is uh, exactly, uh, if I correctly understand it, what will be the follow-up? For time being, that's not all we have. Uh, all we have, and uh, I cannot imagine what we can do more, uh, because there is no extra money. I mean, if we want the and here I go back to where I was. If we have, if we want the European Union to be able to do this, uh, I mean, to have more firepower, uh, we have got to take this opportunity to move forward, and really to change, to give a kind of a, a leap a quantum leap that the that Europe has been doing throughout all it, its history in specific crises and we say that uh, we usually say used to say that uh, uh, the European Union uh, grows through crises uh, but uh, I mean it's it's important that we have a direction and a political will uh, but I mean if we want the Commission uh, or the European Union to move forward with more competence or with more firepower, then uh, in particular the member states have got to recognize this role and the Commission will use it to the limit uh, of, 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 the, of the openness that is given to it and of the means that is given to it. And this is why the Commission is proposing and trying to test uh, different alternatives in order to push forward uh, something that is badly needed. That is, I mean, to have some instruments that uh, can uh, not only guarantee this cohesion and convergence, but also, uh, and this should be in our minds for the future, can give uh, more easy answers if a crisis arrives. This time we had an unexpected crisis, yeah. but uh, but we don't know if the next one. I hope it will be not be a climate one, but we don't know. Eh? We yeah. don't. <laughs> it could it could happen, and so the Commission has got to be capable of of implementing at the at the community level some some uh, some responses, uh, quick responses, and they've got to get organised for it. Where this conversation seems to be taking us is into the MFF and, and the, the ambitions of the of the next MFF. You can't um, speak, I believe the Commissioner said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and, and Commissioner, you've spoken about excessive asymmetries of uh, that countries will face coming out of the crisis, that will have an internal market which will be very, very imbalanced coming out of the crisis. Um, and, and, and essentially, uh, in a way, you've been um, 
you've joined a chorus of voices on this because Emmanuel Macron recently has spoken about the risk of distortions to the single markets because some countries will be able to, like Germany and the Netherlands, who you, who you mentioned, they'll be able to provide extensive amounts of state aid to their industries. Other countries, um, especially, um, or for example, in Southern Europe, won't be so able to do that. So uh, to, to what extent can you use cohesion policy in, in, the, next, in the next MFF to try and, to try and level out that, that playing field somehow? And what will the Commission be saying in its MFF proposals next week in that regard? Well, this is, this is a, a very, very important question uh, because, uh, as, I, I, as I told you before, it's not only the cohesion policy that has got to be as such reinforced. Uh, it's the, the cohesion <clears throat> has got to be also understood by sectoral policies. Because if you manage to have a recovery policy uh, that uh, includes, uh, and it, it would be important to have it, that includes um, an element of, uh, of, uh, of industrial policy, and it has been uh, very, very thoroughly discussed. Uh, of course, this industrial policy has got to bear in mind that it cannot be just a policy for the winners, uh, for the usual winners or for the most competitive areas. It has got to have in its DNA uh, some concern that the gains uh, that um, from this, uh, from research, from the industrial projects, from have got to bring Europe uh, together. Uh, it cannot be, uh, we cannot split Europe into the ones that are, uh, the, I mean, the, the ones that are leading and uh, everybody else that is just paid uh, to, I mean, to, to support a minimum activity that has no, uh, no condition of survival. So I think, I think uh, cohesion and internal market, and if you add to the internal market the single currency with all the imbalances that uh, the uh, single currency naturally uh, anticipates and that all the works, all the theoretical works that were done in, in the preparatory times of the, of the monetary union, they showed that you had to have some sort of, uh, of, of instruments that could, uh, that could accelerate the capacity to compete by the weakest partners and the weakest regions. And so, of course, uh, at this moment, we, we, we need, and uh, I think also the, the Eurogroup uh, has, and, and, and the, the, the Council, they have uh, presented, uh, already anticipated, that there would be a recovery, a recovery plan, uh, on, and and that that the MFF would be at the center of this recovery plan. Now there are all sorts of hypotheses that we can uh, we can work. Uh, of course, the Commission is working very hard on this. Also, uh, the President of the Commission has made very clear statements, and uh, and uh, I'm sure you saw. Uh, some of the very important elements that were uh, that were part of the speech um, uh, last week of the of the of, of the president uh, when when uh, she was speaking to the European Parliament and she said that yes we are facing a symmetric problem but uh, we are living with a very asymmetric situation and so internal market and cohesion they are the two sides of the same coin. I'm quoting by heart, but the idea, the central idea was this. So we need not only a reinforced MFF, but a reinforced uh, cohesion, cohesion policy in that context. Of course, when we are talking about the internal market, there are other issues that have got to be addressed. 
and I think probably Europe should start thinking about it, uh, about addressing it from another perspective. And this is the fact that, uh, of course, when we are uh, looking at the, of course, we look at a corporate, we look at a firm, and we see uh, the kind of support that this firm can receive, but we also see how much this firm pays to the member state, pays to the government, and so the taxes that are paid. And, uh, and the tax system was, uh, uh, is, is a problem. The corporate direct corporate taxation is a problem in Europe, and probably it will be difficult for taxpayers to accept that the burden uh, that will come on after this crisis will be uh, inequally shared uh, between uh, big multinationals that can operate and uh, relocate uh, their profit in certain uh, more, more uh, lenient or more um, competitive uh, tax systems uh, rather than others. Uh, this is something that the previous commission mentioned uh, very clearly. This commission has also mentioned it again, but of course, when we are discussing internal market, uh, being exempted from paying is uh, very, very similar to being paid um, by state aid. Uh, so the two things have got to be uh, treated on, uh, on the same uh, platform. And of course, it will be difficult that we don't address uh, this, this issue uh, and when, uh, when the citizens of Europe uh, sometimes will feel that it is on their uh, wage bill and on the bill of small and medium enterprises that cannot operate um, like this, uh, that, uh, that, um, that the burden of the paying of the debt, because this is the debt, it will be an issue. Uh, that 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 the burden is 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 imbalanced as well. So um, having this internal market and having this uh, uh, monetary union functioning uh, has a lot of uh, side requirements that uh, I think we cannot ignore. Uh, and of course, I think we have got to level them out uh, so that we don't uh, we don't uh, we don't face. Um, a very, a very fragmented uh, after crisis Europe. Uh, that would be a disaster. Well, actually, if I may, uh, I really like your uh, the way you put it that uh, you have uh, the single market on one hand and then cohesion policy on the other hand. We are faced with a shock that is really distorting. Uh, the single market also in view of the different responses that are coming from the capacity of different countries. So how should we think about the future MMFF in its current form or in an augmented form that will be discussed also? We will come to that as well. Um, is, is there cohesion policy then a tool for basically correcting for the imbalances that are coming on the single market? Uh, and if that is true, then how do you stay also clear and faithful to the long term objectives of the cohesion fund which is you know here is a climate a climate uh, uh, issue that will stay with us and there's also a digital transformation that will stay with us so how do you square the two how do you stay clear to the ambitions of cohesion policy as indeed was constructed through this genesis but at the same time level the playing field of the single market or is other instruments perhaps better for dealing with this unleveling of the playing field that comes to the single market uh, Maria, as I mentioned, uh, cohesion policy uh, is the central policy to correct these imbalances, but other sectoral policies have got also to recognize 
the territorial impact of, of what happens, even the trade policy. When we opened up to, when in the past we opened up to imports from China, this had a very imbalanced impact uh, according to the kind of country we're working in. If you were a, a producer or if you were an importer, the, 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 the consequence of opening, opening up to, to China imports uh, was, was completely different, different. So the horizontal policies, and we have known this for ages, the horizontal European policies have a very asymmetric impact by themselves. And this is in normal terms. When now you have this kind of situation, yes, of course, answering your question, yes, the cohesion policy has, has got to be there because this, the, it, it's the policy that has the instruments, the capacity and the experience to combat uh, the, 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 those imbalances. But, but when we are talking about, about cohesion policy, we are talking about supporting growth. And one, lessons that, one of the lessons that we have got to take is uh, when we have growth, we, we cannot grow uh, by, the, by the, the models of the past. Uh, so uh, also we have, uh, we have um, cohesion policy, but we have also uh, the reform agenda. And this reform agenda is something that I would like to touch as well. We have an instrument that is the BICC that is still being, create, being built uh, and that was, was supposed to, uh, to support, and is supposed to support the countries, and here I add that are more in need of this support, so that when they grow now in the post-crisis, that they also reform themselves, and by reform I talk about supporting the quality of the public administration, uh, uh, the supporting the quality of the education system, supporting the quality of the research and development system or of the universities or of the tech system. So if I mean reforming in the good sense of the word because it has been very distorted in the past, but reforming means using your money in a better and more efficient way. Uh, but of course, I think because we had a crisis, uh, we should not let go the initial objectives that were in the, the Commission agenda for the future. And this is greening, and this is digital. Uh, I mean, we, we don't, in the past, we were talking about digital as if it was something that was forced in, anticipated. Now we realize that uh, we could not have survived without the digital. And this means that the growth has got to be prepared for, uh, for a, a massive use of the new technologies that are available to us and Europe has got to be in control and in the leadership but has got to understand that the more away from the center you are the more you need a digital competence and the digital access the same thing with the greening what we call greening uh, I prefer uh, I mean greening than climate because greening includes all the elements of a growth that is not destructive of the environment and that doesn't create our own, our, our only, our own uh, kind of, um, of uh, self-killing uh, because it doesn't make sense 
uh, that we, we don't grow uh, in, a, in, a, in a more modern way and in a way that is more compatible with the long-term future uh, for our survival. So uh, this means also that uh, some of the elements that we had already included and had uh, prepared for the new um, multi-annual framework uh, have got to be uh, looked at, of course, uh, but. Uh, with the, all the new information that we have, but I would consider that we should go on with it because a carbon-based uh, future is not a sustainable future. Um, if we want to move to change uh, our way to produce and our way to use energy, we have got to help the transition of those regions that are still um, depending on carbon, and for that we had prepared a, a series of, of um, instruments, in particular the Just Transition Fund, Just Transition Mechanism. Of course, I think we should really have a positive plan for, and, and we are having it, uh, it's, it's just continuation of what we have in relation to um, new sources of energy and in particular renewables but also make an internal market for renewables through the possibility to transfer renewables, to exchange renewables as any other good. And, uh, <clears throat> and um, I think that uh, if we think for the future, if we think positively, we need, of course, uh, money, resources. Uh, there, is all these, there are all these possibilities and we have got to stabilize what are the mechanisms that we can use, but we need it. But having this means also implies that uh, we have got to have a modern economy, a more digital economy, a more uh, green economy, but also a more cohesive economy that doesn't leave regions and people behind. Because uh, if we are not capable of doing this, uh, then I don't think that uh, that uh, that uh, our future will be will be sustainable as such. In fact, on the very last point, if I may, sorry, James, there is a, there is like a number of questions now that are coming in on exactly the last point. Uh, if I may, uh, cities are the somebody called Theo is asking the question, and many are supporting these questions. Cities are the entities the most hurt by lockdown measures, and will have to adapt with the necessary sanitary measures and a, a number of different things. What is the EU doing to support cities? I mean, this is exactly on the last on the last point you mentioned. Can we do something to support those? particularly in cities who are the most uh, badly hurt. Yeah, cities have been very much helped and uh, this is something that has been uh, in progress uh, in, uh, in the European agenda and in the cohesion agenda. Uh, but of course, uh, we have got to be, I mean, uh, now we have, that's reason why uh, in relation to tackling this emergency um, also um, funds that were allocated uh, let's imagine to southern Italy can be relocated to tackle the problems in the Milano area. Uh, so, uh, I mean, the, the possibility to transfer funds from the weakest regions to the most, uh, most powerful regions uh, are, uh, are possible now. Member states are doing it. Uh, each member state has its own situation and its own uh, administrative um, capacity and the way uh, I think f functions in internally. But from the European point of view, 
uh, we are allowing this transfer because the emergency is in the big cities. Having said this, uh, we have got to, to think for the future uh, in Europe uh, by, uh, by thinking that a more balanced Europe is a more sustainable Europe. So the reason why certain regions and certain urban areas and metropolitan areas are just bursting with people coming from, from surrounding areas and after a while the so-called economies of scale, so the advantage of having a big dimension, are overcome by these economies of scale, by, 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 by pockets of poverty, pockets of exclusion, difficulties in transports, excessive pollution, is because, in a way, the opportunities for these people that came to the big cities to have a proper life and a decent life in medium-sized towns or in the rural areas uh, was completely killed by the functioning of the, of the economic system. So, uh, the, the, the other element that I'd like to put in, speaking very frankly, is that uh, we have got to, the, the logic of cohesion policy is to help more those that are not able to help themselves. So if you are a rich city or if you are a rich region, of course you may have problems in, inside, or if you are a rich country, you have problems inside. But there is an element of proportionality and this means that for the same problem, we should help more those that are less capable of helping themselves. And so cities, of course, they have been helped a lot. Uh, a lot of money is dedicated to them. Uh, in the past, 5% of, they were even, uh, e uh, I mean, they had a simplified process uh, to exceed to 5% of the cohesion total uh, funds for development, but we have got to be more and more, um, more and more demanding on what is this money for, uh, because the big cities, the big metropolitan areas, they have got to be helped to do something that is exceptionally uh, relevant or that is exceptionally difficult to solve or something that is of a very innovative character and so that brings a value added to the whole community and this is the kind of issues that can only occur when you have this specific mix of uh, universities, uh, financial power, uh, knowledge, administrative capacity and altogether they have got to deliver uh, top, top uh, products. Uh, we, we should not, uh, from my point of view, uh, use uh, the, the structural funds to do uh, basic things uh, that, uh, that the big cities are capable because they really have uh, their power uh, and their influence and their political voice uh, to really solve their problems by themselves. So in a nutshell, uh, at this moment, a lot of the health dedicated money is in fact to the big metropolis but one of the lessons that we have to take with us uh, is that uh, uh, a more balanced um, country and a more balanced Europe is a more resilient Europe. And uh, of course, we have to give appropriate answers to the place where everybody lives, to the big cities. Uh, big cities and cities are more and more the preferred place uh, for people. 
but we cannot discard or disregard uh, the quality of life away from these cities. And this is more of a challenge for us to rebalance the development uh, rather than uh, having this, this simple solution of allocated funds to the ones that have uh, a stronger voice. Uh, but also, uh, this is the counterpart of it. They all also have sometimes the, the highest capacity to solve their own problems if they get organized in that direction. So there is this kind of uh, fine-tuning the message and fine-tuning the preferences when, when it comes to the, to the cohesion policy. Very, very quickly on this, um, you've mentioned things that need to be changed in, in light of the crisis in, in the MFF. Is the Just Transition Mechanism and the Just Transition Fund one of them? In the Just Transition Fund, I think, has seven billion um, in, in the, well, going by the Commission's proposal from January. And then you have financial engineering and, and a role for the EIB to get up to 100 billion. Um, do we need more? And also, there was a question from a participant called Torsten um, on this saying, will you still propose a regulation for the third pillar of the Just Transition Mechanism? And if so, when? So I wanted to bundle that into. Well, on Just Transition Fund and Mechanism, we are working very, very hard on it. Since the beginning, we have said that, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's absolutely, I mean, it's, we are playing with money that we had. Uh, and this goes inside the whole framework of uh, the MFF. So what is the final value of the MFF? Uh, on the specific uh, items of the Just Transition Mechanism, yes, we are working very, very intensively. We go on working on the regulation and legislation that will accompany the Just Transition uh, Mechanism. So the, third, the three pillars are being uh, uh, object of our, of our concern and of our work. Uh, of course, if we could have, could have more money, yes, it would be very interesting. If we could uh, operate with, um, with uh, I mean, more easy engineering uh, to produce and to deliver a fair transition, that would be absolutely, absolutely uh, great. Having said that, this, uh, the, 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 the environmental agenda is not just carbon and carbon, uh, carbon uh, uh, storage or carbon, um, uh, I mean, use of alternative sources and the evolution and transition. Uh, to a less carbon intensive uh, kind of uh, economy, but also uh, it's, uh, it's working on, uh, on, uh, on the fight against desertification. It's the fight against uh, um, forest fires. It's the way you manage the water resources. Uh, so uh, it's the way, the way you protect biodiversity. It's the way you produce uh, your food uh, and it's it, so it, the the environmental agenda is such a big thing. It's such a, a major growth agenda that I don't think we should really be very uh, eager to destroy what we were already in the path of doing because it makes more sense now than in the past. I mentioned uh, passant uh, when I I mean uh, I just touched upon it, but I hope I hope that the next crisis, big crisis, doesn't come from climate. Because, because in fact, we are playing with fire. And, uh, and, the, and we have seen uh, the young generation that usually uh, didn't have such a strong voice, they were really coming forward and saying, please grow in a different matter. This is an opportunity also. And I think we should grasp this opportunity and really, uh, I mean, uh, grow, uh, grow 
in a more um, compatible way with our environment because that is also our survival uh, in a better way in terms of using the technologies making the best use of it but also in a more cohesive way and in a way that uh, that doesn't uh, grow through imbalances and crises uh, but um, and 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 political and economic disarray but that grows through uh, a, a balanced and uh, and uh, and mature way uh, in order that we stabilize and we show to the world uh, all this that we have promised that we are able to have a democratic politically sound uh, and prosperous uh, area in the world uh, the world is looking at us and i think we cannot uh, we cannot also ignore this fact uh, and i think uh, really we we have got to to come stronger from this crisis i hope so Commissioner, thank you very much. I'm very much aware of the fact that we've exceeded, uh, we've exceeded the time you've given us. Can I perhaps ask one last word from you on what do you expect from the, the uh, council meeting on, uh, on Thursday? Or what do you hope for the council meeting on Thursday? Well, I, I, I hope that, uh, that the, the council is able to, to tell the citizens that Europe uh, is here for all of us and that uh, Europe is a project that comes from long. Uh, the reason why Europe survived until now was because uh, Europe uh, in the post-wars and the post-Second War, Second World War, was able to benefit from uh, a Marshall Plan, was uh, able to benefit from uh, different management of the German debt at that time uh, from the one that has had been managed in the First World War, in the post-First World War, uh, was, able, it was able to grow uh, with a new, a fresh way to approach the losers of Second World War. So uh, I think this is, this is all a lot of history. And, um, and from all this, we got from this different approach in which we look at the future and we create conditions for a win-win. And when we talk about the Marshall Plan, uh, I don't think that the Americans were just uh, charitable people. They just understood intelligently that for the world to grow, we could grow together or we could not grow at all. Uh, this is going a little bit backwards, but I think uh, if we want to think of Europe as something to, as a project to be there for two, for three, for all the decades uh, from ahead of us, we have got really to lift our head, to think a little bit out of the box and to understand that Europe should and must quickly create conditions for uh, recovery that can really be as strong as the recovery that I'm sure uh, China, uh, the United States, uh, and uh, so many other uh, big powers in the world uh, will be able to organize. Uh, and uh, we have got to bear this in mind and not a very, very short-term um, game of interests and of, uh, um, of uh, needs to give comfort to national public opinions uh, that, uh, that sometimes are not sufficiently informed about the risks of, of the game we are playing, but also of the opportunities that we have ahead of us if we are intelligent enough to grasp them. 
Wonderful, Jim. I don't know if you have a final question for the commissioner. Um, I'm, I'm, very, very, I'm very conscious that we're that we're over time. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I I don't know, I mean, Commissioner. Could you give us another couple of minutes? Or uh, no, it's okay. I mean, absolutely fine. No, I mean, it's just I wanted to pick up on one, one specific thing you touched on earlier, which was when you, you talked about how in the coming MFF period, there's going to be a need for flexibility. So in effect, we, we keep some money unallocated. And then when we've got a really strong statistical analysis of, of who suffered the most economically, then there's some, then that money could then be allocated and and. and that way we, we spend it where it, it's most needed. Um, but you mentioned tourism uh, as one aspect of that. I mean, obviously there are regions in Europe which have benefited enormously from, from tourism, but now they're gonna find themselves, um, well, out of pocket, um, uh, to, put it, to put it mildly. So is that, is that a priority area that you're looking at, that we're gonna have to redirect cohesion money towards regions we've never had to think about before, but which, which now are going to really be suffering in the wake of the crisis? Well, definitely, uh, when, we, when we look at the next MFF, we have got to, to take our lessons. And uh, when we talk about flexibility, you mentioned flexibility, but you also mentioned priorities. Of course, uh, already now, a lot of support is being given to, uh, to, to touristic regions. And, uh, uh, and of course, this has got to be stepped up. Uh, I mean, uh, because I'm, I'm absolutely sure, even before I get statistics, that they will be suffering a lot from, from, this, from this crisis. But it's not only tourism. Uh, also, uh, probably we'll have to reflect on uh, how to address the health component, or at least to a large, uh, I told you that uh, 8 billion were invested in the recent years in this framework uh, of aid uh, in, in, uh, in health infrastructures. But obviously uh, health and health infrastructures and the minimum level of health uh, services are needed, uh, particularly in those regions that, that, that are more uh, away from the central, the central big hospitals and big structures. So uh, this is part of the development. But all, so apart from that, also cultural uh, activities are suffering immensely uh, because uh, a lot of, uh, of artists they, they i mean the artists perform they need they need to have to have rooms or, or stadiums full of people so that they can really uh, perform so there is there is a huge amount of, of um, activities that that have got to be inside the usual framework they have got to be stepped up uh, when it concerns uh, flexibility or rather already uh, a lot of these uh, possibilities of flexi uh, flexi uh, flexibility of transfers between funds were already anticipated in the proposal by the commission in 2018 we can revise them with the european parliament but they were increased I mean, from the biggest, the strongest regions to the weakest ones, it was free. From the weakest to the strongest one, the amount was about 15%, which is a big jump in relation to the past. Uh, also, we can reassess flexibility between, um, between these objectives. Uh, I mean, seeing uh, the, the best adaptation uh, to, the, to the greening and digital according to the level of development of, uh, of the different regions. Uh, but I would not imagine that, okay, we destroy everything that is already prepared for the next MFF. Uh, and it's already being discussed with the European Parliament and is already, uh, it's, it's such a painful, and uh, we, it was proposed 
in 2018. We have been discussed, discussing it throughout. So uh, sometimes you say, okay, it's a completely different proposal. No, I think we have got to go uh, in very careful ways, but that is a personal opinion and try to, to safeguard what was already there and try really to uh, fine-tune what needs to be fine-tuned, but bearing in mind uh, what, uh, what were already the changes that were introduced in this uh, preliminary version of the, of the text that is being discussed. The European Parliament is, um, is in a very cooperative, has been incredible the cooperation between Commission and, and Parliament, also with Council, but uh, with Parliament it's a massive amount of people, so it's very heavy, but they, they are really flexible and quick. And, uh, and I think we should really fine-tune what needs to be fine-tuned. And then uh, there is another element that is not a minor one, what is the amount of money? Because it is not acceptable that, uh, and it, there is no point in now speaking about percentages because with the reduction of the, of the, of the GDP, uh, the percentage will go automatically up. So what, in absolute terms, what are we talking about? Mm. Uh, and, 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 uh, and guaranteeing that it, there is robust amount uh, capable of, of supporting cohesion uh, policy. Uh, and cohesion actions because we are badly in need of that. Thank you very much, Commissioner, for being, primarily for being so generous with your time. And thank you for sharing uh, your thoughts with us. Uh, we are now almost quarter past, so I think we need to, to stop here. But okay. again, a very big uh, thank you for, for joining us today. And this is to inform also our public that this series will continue with uh, the next event on the 7th of May with Commissioner Johansson talking about uh, cybersecurity issues uh, in a time of uh, the corona. But for the moment, let me again thank you very much, Commissioner, for joining us today. And we hope to see you soon. Um, and we're hoping for a, better, for a good result uh, uh, on Thursday. Again, thank you and uh, goodbye. Thank you, goodbye. And thank you for the work that permanently Bruegel and FT are doing. Thank you for your initiative and uh, for allowing for this so interesting interchange of points of view. Thank you very much indeed. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.